and welcome to The Nightcap. Uh, this is a special one-off episode, really. We thought we'd dip in, in and amongst um, being in lockdown still between series. We've got more Ask Us Anything podcasts lined up, but this one's a really special one today. Um, we've invited Chris on from The Burnt Chef Project. Uh, if you've not heard about this project before, very simply, it's a non-profit campaign clothing brand operating within hospitality to challenge mental health and the stigma and all the profits from every item sold on their website go directly to funding training resource materials uh, and just helps open conversations in general so chris thanks so much for taking the time buddy to come and speak to us no worries thanks for having me on board nice one and how you doing paul you okay mate i'm not bad yeah yeah boxes going well for valentine's day i hear um, yeah, they out. sold out last week and we're getting loads of inquiries now. We just don't have the capacity to do any more, which is good. Need to invent a second Valentine's Day. That's the... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's like having two Mother's Days in a year as well, isn't it? Yeah. To be able to cope. Yeah, yeah. I, get, I get so confused with that because Mother's Day in America is a completely different time of year as well. And I see it yeah. all flashing up on social media of people tweeting. And I'm like, Mother's Day? What? It's like October. I don't know. What's yeah, you have on. a little panic, don't you? Yeah, a little bit. Oh, no, no, don't worry about it. Um, nice one. Chris, well, yeah, thanks again, mate, for joining us and uh, taking the time. Um, I know I've explained very briefly about what it's what the Burnt Chef Project is, but if you could give people a bit more information that aren't aware of you guys, and then we can sort of delve into things. Yeah, sure, no problem. I mean, without going into sort of the whole last 18 months, I mean, in short, the Burnt Chef Project was born through my experience of working uh, with chefs over the course of 10 years. So I actually used to work for a couple of fine dining wholesalers uh, Mm -hmm. covering the best part of 600 restaurants and thousands and thousands of chefs. And uh, both through my own experiences of suffering from mental illness and also the conversations I had with many of my mates who are obviously in in the industry. Yeah. It sort of quite became quite apparent that mental health wasn't something that we spoke about, um, but more so than that, it was something that was actually causing damage to the industry, and it was stopping, you know, people joining. It was getting people out. Um, you know, uh, age of thirty-five in the industry was you're one of the old timers. Uh, so, being a photographer at the time, I decided to try and raise some awareness by taking some black and white photos, and I did an event down in Bournemouth uh, where I invited sort of twenty-five people, and we got best part of 60 turned up with people queuing outside this restaurant to listen to listen to someone talk about mental health um yeah so that that was the start i mean october 2019 and then fast forward to now almost well just over a year on and you know we've, we've, the message is not just national now it's international and we're just trying to normalize the conversation so that as an industry we can not be the third biggest in the in the uk but we can be the second or first biggest industry in the uk and really encourage people to come in and join join us as a long-term career well that's that's definitely a testament to you and the project mate because i can't believe it's actually only been going 18 months i thought it was even more established of that because of how big it's got so quickly um and we'll we'll delve into all that um very shortly coming up on the podcast as well we're still going to try and keep some of the elements of what we normally do so we're going to do a boiling point later we've got some myths and hacks to dispel but I guess firstly, Chris, if you don't mind, can you take us back to your sort of early experiences within this industry and sort of how you came to going, you know, and, and that, that point to which you went, right, I, I want to do something about this now. I want to set up a project that's going to help people. Yeah, sure. I mean, I've always had um, affiliations with this industry. So my old dear, she used to run pubs. So I was always in pubs and surrounded by them. And she was obviously always working evenings and never around uh, during the evenings. And you know, that was something that sort of resonate, resonated with me. I found them comfortable places. I'd loved the vibe that I got from hospitality. Um, my background, I, I actually ended up not working in hospitality immediately. I ended up working as a sales and marketing uh, professional in various different industries, such as mechanical engineering and travel industry. Uh, but also at the same time, working front of house for bars, uh, certainly as I got older, for a bit of extra cash. Yeah. Um, Didn't we all? So, yeah, yeah. I mean, to, to be honest, who wouldn't? Like, what a lifestyle as well. You get to work in an office during the day and then head to a bar, work with your mates, effectively, yeah. in the evening. And then spend um, the money you weren't doing that pub shift in the pub straight after. Yeah, get, on, your, on your days off, getting pissed until 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning and yeah. going again. Yeah. So, yeah, that, that was pretty much it. Um, but uh, I sort of fell into hospitality about, oh, Christ, from a sales, a wholesale perspective, about I don't know, ten years ago now, 
um, where I just I took a job working for a food wholesaler. Didn't really know what a capsicum was at that moment in time and uh, had no real awareness of the sort of inner workings of a chef's life. And uh, just loved it. Just fucking loved the passion, loved the creativity, loved working with, you know, individuals who obviously had a, a pride and a flair for what they did. Um, and made the decision early on to stay. Yeah. Um, so I did that. Well, I did that all the way up until sort of October of last year. But about two years ago, I was having a chat with a mate of mine and uh, a very good friend. He's a chef. And uh, he was experiencing sort of signs of burnout you know he over christmas he was doing 70 hours uh, he was also trying to manage his family life and also trying to run his own business at the same time and you know he got quite unwell about it and we got we got chatting and he was like yeah this is the you know this is the problem it's you know i'm doing eight nine ten eleven days back to back i've done 70 hour weeks he said and things are starting to slip but i've written written about this and you know i think other people should be made aware but no one will listen right now, at the time, where was he writing sorry. that stuff down? Was he like, was he like journaling it? Was he like doing a blog online? Like, what? Why was he? What was his like? Do you know why he suddenly decided to do that? Yeah, I think f- for him, he's. I mean, I mean, most of us within hospitality are quite creative individuals, and I think, I think chefs are sort of the epitome of that. I think for him, it was a good outlet, and he was starting to reflect on his career within hospitality and look back at some of the silly shit he'd done, such as you know driving a car through a a house and you know there's some of the spills that wow. he had that actually would have made quite interesting reading if at some stage he decides to publish those mm-hmm. but um you know we were just sort of talking about how no one discusses these sort of things um unless it's a bit of banter within you know within the kitchen yeah um and being quite creative myself i was uh, doing a lot of food photography on the site so i started taking some black and white photos of, of hospitality professionals and it was during that time where I was staring down the barrel of a lens, um, looking at these, you know, these individuals I was photographing, and all of a sudden I'd just be hit with these stories, like, yeah. oh yeah, you know, I've, I've I've tried to commit suicide, or I've tried to do this, and or I'm suffering from this at the moment. And I think that lack of eye contact, and both of us knowing that I was there to try and raise awareness for a particular subject, was quite cathartic for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. So. Anyway, one thing led to another, and I started racking up photos, and I got to about 100, 100 photos for different people around sort of Dorset area. And it just came about, just decided one day out of the blue to really put myself up against the cosh and commit to a date whereby we had an open conversation with the local mind uh, and Kelly's cause, who train hospitality and mental health first aid, and just invited a few people to come along and have a listen to us and have a chat about it. Well, and, and that response uh, was good, was it? There was a lot of good turnout and, uh, and honesty from from people who came. Yeah, I mean, in terms of honesty, you know, I think even back then, and it's still much the same now, although it has been better. But back then, about sort of a year and a half ago, people just didn't want to. Dis- they didn't want to discuss it. They came out of being the fact they were intrigued. You know, there were individuals at that meeting who didn't understand what mental health was, didn't really have much time for it, but they knew, you know, they knew it was impacting members of their staff. Yeah. Um, you know, there are individuals there who'd suffered for their own mental health who so came along just out of curiosity. But, you know, to have 60 people turn up that evening and, you know, get people shake your hand afterwards and go, oh, fucking hell, I never realised I was suffering from burnout or I never realised that, you know, my lifestyle of doing this this amount of hours and not talking about it has ended up me being divorced three times. And, wow. and it's... That, for me, was like a... That was a big, big moment. Must big have been. Moment. It must have been quite overwhelming to have sixty people suddenly all sort of congregate together and go, "Oh, right." So, and then was it awkward to just then everyone just started? How how did that like play out? Mate, I was bricking it. Honestly, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Were you, you on know, stage as as such then, in front of people talking about it, or what? How did that work? Uh, so it was in a restaurant. There's a restaurant down in Bournemouth called Terroir, which is like an eco um, eco tapas. A restaurant is run by a good friend of mine, James Fowler. He um, he's a world-class barman, actually. He's nice business, anyway. But he uh, he lent me his his restaurant, and you know it's a decent-sized restaurant. It covers you know you probably get about forty covers in it, and uh, yeah, I was just stood at the front in front of all of these. You know, the majority of them were chefs at the time, but all of these people that I'd worked with and known for years, and suddenly I had to talk about 
mental health, which even then I, w I didn't know anything about it at the time. I just knew it was a problem and that I'd, I'd suffered from it myself. Yeah. Um, and if there's nothing more intimidating than standing up in front of a bunch of chefs and talking <laughs> oh, about God. something that's touchy-feely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Man, that is probably putting yourself out there, but obviously that is the one of the reasons why people then follow, because you led by example there, which is an amazing thing to do. Paul and I talked on the last podcast on Ask Us Anything a little bit about this subject, and we were saying how whilst obviously mental health is a universal thing, um, like you've, I guess, touched upon in terms of the burnout and the hours, it's also there's some industry-specific stuff to this at the same time. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think, as you say, mental health has got such a bad rap. I mean, you just have to look back in, do a Google search of mental health in history, and you'll see, you know, kings being having their brains removed to be able to look for demons and you know even looking back into media you've got jack nicholson <laughs> yeah <laughs> i mean it's a bit harsh and most of us feel like that with a hangover from time yeah. to time anyway but, <laughs> but um yeah i mean it's been so heavily stigmatized and that's just in general society but when you start to look at hospitality and you look at the fact that you know it is a hard working industry it's a, it's a tough industry it's a it's a fantastic industry but i think you know there are certain things that perhaps have become part of the norm um like what, know, things, what, are the, what are those things well things like you know doing the long hours and wearing it as a badge of honor you know <laughs> yeah. it's like it's like i had four hours sleep oh yeah mate no i had three hours sleep and i've done it for three days in a row Wee. Oh, <laughs> yeah no, well yes. done, mate. You're a hero. <laughs> the, the message that sends and from experience like from i've been on both sides of that is that like for one it gives this whole perception of i'm okay you're not okay so like to explain that more is um i'm saying that by i'm i'm okay with that i'm fine with that if you can't handle that you're not good enough so i'm okay you're not okay so you don't want to admit um you don't want to admit that you're not good enough so even if you can't handle that and you're struggling with that you know, to another man in a very male-dominated, boisterous environment, you don't want to admit you're not okay. Yeah. You don't you want to admit that you're not strong. To get one up over your colleague. Yeah, exactly. And you don't want to admit that you're not strong enough. So you do. You go along with it, and yeah, it's having the awareness of what you're doing because a lot of it is quite, quite subconscious for me. It was anyway. Only talking from my own experiences that that's that's what you do. And you know, again, men. Uh, as as kids generally you're told you know your feelings don't matter or you're dismissed or that you know you can't be a pussy those sort of things they stay with you when you go into a very male dominated industry with alpha males you can't express yourselves and you don't know how to and there's no structures in place yeah so that's what I really like about um, about this and the Burnt Chef project that it's I think the most powerful thing is the awareness for me and what really stands out for me is the awareness of like so many people I think aren't aware of how they're feeling because they're not connected with themselves I think the, the things that things that Chris is doing is going to really help people realize oh that's why I feel like that yeah. you know just put two and two together yeah I think that's a big point actually in that it is great to say I'm your boss or I'm your head chef etc I am here if you want to talk but actually the greater issue is a lot of people especially like you've just described there Paul in the industry have been for ages perhaps they weren't um, emotionally vulnerable as kids with their parents they, they're they not self-aware enough to realise why mm. they feel how they feel it starts yeah. there before you know you can even approach your head chef to talk about stuff exactly it's, it's such a minefield isn't it Chris because yeah, yeah if you're not if you're not in touch with yourself you can't you know you can't do that to especially someone who's quite a you know, a, a very masculine, strong in appearance type of person. Yeah. Yeah, hugely. I mean, you've got to bear in mind, we're not that far removed from eras where even back in the Victorian times or post-war where, you know, the stiff upper lip, you know, you, you just got on yeah. with it. You didn't, your Classic father never... old British mentality, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it is. It is massively so. You know, you never taught. I mean, my old man, he's, he's a more of a sensitive bloke than perhaps your standard stoic, but even still, I wouldn't see emotion from him and he wouldn't, you know sit down and talk openly about how he was feeling and uh you know although i'm probably a little bit more entwined with that because my mum was you know she ended up becoming a youth worker and she was in that sort of mentality just i mean certainly with blokes but i think you know that that whole stoicism that's you know 
we, we're all right, you know, we don't have to talk about it. And that's what I suffered with from years. You know, I was so heavily depressed and I ended up going to see a therapist when I was a little bit older and when I was 29. Wow. And it wasn't until I sat down and she was like, you do realize that all the stuff that's going on inside your head, you're not alone, you're not weird, you're not broken like you think you are. In fact, actually everyone has that going on inside. You just don't see it and no one talks about it. It's, it's amazing how, um, it doesn't sound like it would be comforting on the face of it, but it's unbelievable how powerful it is to know that it's not unusual because in some mm. ways it, it sounds harsh if you say oh you're nothing you're not special there and thinking that that sounds horrible but actually when you twist it and go no 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 that's cut there's almost like safety in numbers like oh if everyone's yeah, feel feeling less it alone. yeah no one's no one's feeling it but if like yeah if everyone's feeling a bit of something then it sort of normalizes it and makes you feel like i'm not being extreme or i'm not being do you know what i mean mm. yeah yeah. yeah, and it's not to say that you know, everyone experiences mental illness in different ways and not everyone will ev always have an episode of mental illness. It's, you know, it's one, biology has a lot to, lot to say in it, but I thought, I think also environment and, you know, the way your past and the way you've been brought up, um, you know, especially around childhood trauma and things like that, they also have a big bearing on that. And I think, you know, as a, not just as an industry, but as a culture, we need to start and I'm not, don't get me wrong, for any second, I'm not talking around about all of us have to you know, have a good cry on each other's shoulders for five <laughs> minutes after service and, you know, tell each other how good we are because, you know. That, that sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm a cuddler. I don't mind it at all. But, um, but, you know, people will deal with things in different ways. But to touch upon a point that you made, Si, is like there is power in vulnerability and you could be the toughest guy in that kitchen but if someone comes to you with a problem and says, do you know what, chef, I'm struggling at this moment in time with, you know, finances or I've got these thoughts running through my head that I don't feel like I troll. And that chef going, that's all right, I've had those too. This yeah. is how I dealt with it. Um, yeah. That's immeasurable in terms of power. Yeah, it really mm. is. Like I've, um, in, a, in a weird roundabout way, I can connect with that a lot because I had a real breakthrough moment in my career early on. Not too early on, but earlier on where... When I was presenting and producing podcasts and radio shows um, with other people, we didn't, I didn't feel or realise that we were getting proper traction and proper like a, a loyal audience until we were telling more vulnerable stories. Mm. And that, that didn't always mean like funny stories. It could be quite serious. Or it, could, you know, it, was the, the t it was a tapestry of different things we talk about. But I realised, I was like, why are we suddenly connecting now? And I don't feel like I'm being funny all the time. And I had it in my head that we had to be funny all the time. Similarly to have a you know, chef in the kitchen maybe feels they've got to be really stoic and really brave and really, you know, whatever all the time. Mm. And I realised it was because it was power of vulnerability. If you let people in, they'll connect with you harder. In my medium, that meant that I got more listeners and a, a greater fan base because they cared. They were like, oh, you're a real human and we share these yeah. emotions. And similarly to what you're saying there, with chefs, I think it's you sort of want to work for your teammate harder when you know a bit more about them and that, that vulnerability is not a weakness it actually is a strength and can make everyone in your team sort of uh, stronger yeah it's like true truly authentic isn't it mm -hmm. i don't think you realize the power of it until you till you do use till you experience someone express themselves in that way and you appreciate it or you you can um relate to it you realise how powerful that authenticity through vulnerability is. Definitely. And it really set the tone, actually, thinking about it in that first episode of The Nightcap we ever did with Callum Franklin. Yeah. And, and you know, honestly, you know, Chris, me, me and Paul sat down and we did obviously talk about what we wanted the show to be and how we were going to do it and the features and stuff. We never sat down and wanted, you know, people to pour their hearts out. We thought it'd be a bit more of a laugh than that. But in the yeah. very first episode, it was within the last 10 minutes, wasn't it, mate? Mm. Callum was telling the story about how he found himself basically slumped on the pavement feeling horrendous and was went to hospital and it was because he was burnt out completely and and we were t i was so taken aback because i didn't expect that level of no none of us so, did did we no, no. Uh, on mics you know on, on a microphone it was really brave of callum and then i've noticed since that there's been little bits of that you know pete sanchez talking about that mm. instant he had in the kitchen um we had Daniel Clifford talking about relationship with his parents and, and what he wrote about in his book, you know, and, and I think that is that stuff is amazing. And, and it's great that it, all these household name chefs are starting to do that more. Yeah, massively, massively. And I think, you know, as I say, this industry is it's a very fine line to tra travel when, you know, certainly when I was looking at setting this up, it was like, how do I encourage people to come into this industry without completely destroying it for the fact that it can cause mental health issues?
-hmm. and it's a very very fine line and i think that by people like daniel clifford and you've got the likes of sat baines and you know nathan outlaw talking quite openly about it now it means that the other thousands and thousands and millions of chefs that are out there in front of house staff can suddenly go oh actually i could talk about this now it's it's mm. it's not such a taboo subject normalizes it yeah yeah i'm not carrying it around with me anymore in secret Mm. Yeah, and that, that it's so powerful. It makes such a difference with um, you know big name chefs like you've you've just named there. We all put chefs of that level up on a, a pedestal naturally because of what they've achieved and where we see them and the platforms they have. But when you see them open up, it's amazing. And the same with the podcast and a lot of the feedback we get is that when they've opened up, people relate to them straight away. They're like, oh, wow, they're a real person. Yeah, you know, which which you forget sometimes. So the the power of people like that is invaluable. I think. Yeah, I mean, the, the the crux for me and where I really hit crisis point, I mean, I'm 33 now and this is when I was 29, was I was living on a farm. So I moved from Bournemouth up to Somerset with my wife and kids and I was living on a farm. Um, my father-in-law is the biggest stoic you'll ever meet, right? So he climbs trees as a tree surgeon. He's a farmer. I've seen him do, you know, I've seen him do some heroic things in his past. But he's the sort of guy... Tattoo of an anchor anywhere on his body? No, he's not, he's oh, not a tattoo kind of guy. Mi missing piece of the puzzle, that. No. <laughs> An anchor, only if he was a seaman. But, um, <laughs> but no, I mean, he's the sort of guy who would, you know, chainsaw his own arm off by mistake, tourniquet it, and carry on because he doesn't want to let the client <laughs> down when he's doing the job. <laughs> so, so I was walking, you know, every so often, and I'm quite a sensitive guy, so I'd come home to my wife and I'd go, oh, I've had a terrible day at work and I'm not feeling right for like three weeks in a row. And she's like... You're fine, you know. My dad doesn't suffer from this, so you're you're fine. And you go, oh yeah, perhaps perhaps I am. Yeah, you're right. Perhaps I'm an odd one out here. And uh, yeah, uh, just for me, that that drove me into such a such a hole, such a deep hole. Because I was like, actually, I'm I'm fucking damaged. And can you imagine like a whole brigade of chefs is like that? And no one's like, yeah, I'm alright. I don't have any of those issues going on. And you've got that one young member of staff or an older member of staff going going through it, yeah. but just can't talk and that that's really where the burnt chef project came from it was personal experience and just trying to just trying to make this industry such a such a much more vibrant and beautiful industry than it already is without getting too touchy and feeling oh mm. no, it's great to hear mate have you um have you come across like obviously you don't have to name names or anything but have you come across any inspirational stories of people that have reached out to you guys and it's really helped them yeah i mean without sounding um, I don't know what the correct word for it without sounding like I'm bigging myself up but the number of heartfelt messages that we get through social media channels on a, on a daily basis is, is humbling to see and I mean that with as much sincerity as possible where, Sounds like you're too know, big for your boots now mate <laughs> <laughs> yeah you're right you're right i'm, I'm, I'm bowing out I've, yeah, I've, hit, yeah. I've hit the peak but um <laughs> no we ge we generally like i mean even yesterday i put a post up to do with the new bird chef tech service um which is a free 24 7 service that people can access and someone had already used it and they put on there quite publicly i've used this service and it helped me straight away um and just messages like that means that this is worthwhile doing yeah Oh, absolutely, mate. That's so cool. What What's the um, obviously in lockdown things are different. You can't like all meet up at a restaurant and do things all together. But what is the like? Are there any immediate events online or otherwise that the Burnt Chef Project have got coming up that you can uh, give out to people at the moment? Yeah, I mean, there's a number of things in the pipeline. Um, I mean, the first thing, perhaps, is not necessarily an event as such, but we're in the final process of we're just about to launch our own Burnt Chef Project app which is a training and a resource hub. Um, so the idea of this app is that it'll be free for individuals and there'll be one or two modules on there to do with like, you know, improving well-being and, and mental health. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, the, the aim of the game is within the next 12 months to fill it up with about 30 to 40 different modules for individuals to improve their, just their healthy habits, personal resilience, you know, benefits of nutrition, etc but also for um, corporations as well to sign up and to support us and get access to a load of additional s modules to do with management training and skill sets and active listening and how to engage in you know, conflict resolution and all of these sort of skill sets that perhaps as, as an industry, we don't really teach too much unless you're working for a large nationwide business. Yeah. So that's one thing we've got coming up and I, I, we'll see how that goes. Um, 
you know it's it's uh, there's a lot of time and a lot of money being put put into that to be able to make it sure that it's beneficial for the industry yeah of course um, but yeah just really waiting until we can get back into into the environments where we feel comfortable and we feel you know happy yeah and you know start making some eye to eye contact really as well yeah human contact man <laughs> we're all missing that <laughs> yeah too right you know we're, we're, we're an industry that's bred on communication and being close to each other and working and um, yeah without that we're just sort of lost at this moment in time I really think it will be everyone will be buzzing uh, it's, it's how I imagine you know when like uh, crowds come back to the football games like suddenly these players will go from playing in front of 100 people like staff to 70,000 I imagine like the first yeah. half it's going to be chaos like, ki- yeah. like kids on a playground Nerves. yeah just yeah. like ball flying everywhere tackle like the adrenaline I, will it be Air like shots yeah, yeah do you reckon it'll be like that in kitchens like everyone just like mate oh you god just like, like food everywhere just everyone going mental yeah bad services not knowing what's going on yeah probably <laughs> yeah, that's the thing training people are already talking about like how to return back in a post-covid world because uh, a lot of us haven't done anything for well almost a year now yeah yeah, we did two months, September, October, and then we, we've been closed since the um, start of November. Um, and the work we're doing at the moment, it's not, I don't know, it's not, it's not the same. So it's going to be a shock to the system. We're going to have to phase it in, I think. Yeah. Brush <laughs> yeah. up on the old skills. Yeah, Dust off exactly. a couple of the knives you haven't used in a while. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, not go straight into a 200 cover service with, uh, you know, no tasting meal at menu or anything. It's all just oh. different dishes. Loads I, of I couldn't have done two hundred covers at my peak. <laughs> <laughs> we only do forty here, Max. Yeah. <laughs> oh, nice, nice. Yeah, but I don't know. It's, it's going to be a different landscape as well. I mean, what do you guys think it's going to look like on the other on the other side of this? Um, I can only base it on September, October, which was just massive, massively positive for us. Um, it just just come back massively. Um, people were excited that we were you know, still going and just, just really wanted to enjoy themselves and spend money and treat themselves and it yeah. felt like there was also a lot of longevity and it wasn't, wasn't just like a peak uh, we were back to you know, be, we were full every night and every lunch apart from the odd table for two months which, uh, is, which is great because obviously we lost tables as well for social distancing so no, it's some of the best, best two months we've had amazing do you think there's going to be much that you know you change in terms of i don't know i'm, I'm getting a lot of feedback from from different chefs i was speaking to at the moment about how they're going to change their operations to i don't know whether they give a better work-life balance or whether they you know reduce the number of covers they do but then remain fully booked all the time yeah i think i think for us it taught us a lesson that you know we because we've carved out a bit of a niche as a business anyway and we're fortunate in that respect that we can um, streamline even further what we do because we are you know unique in our area of where we are so you know we're gonna not have so many we're not gonna have any late tables like the one I didn't like the 10 o'clock closure thing because it was so restrictive but the one thing it did teach us looking at it positively is that we can you know we can make the money we need to in a certain amount of time so we can you know can knock an hour or two two off people's day without without fail just just from looking at it differently not turning tables and just just getting the most out of our table giving a better experience and getting you know we give them more and they give us more yep. upselling that Gusborn's Pinot Noir 2017 <laughs> always yeah. <laughs> love it nice um, uh, by the way Chris love the website like uh, chefproject.com is the website and all the merch I mean it is it's, it's not, nice merch it's, no, it's not it's not like like for want of a better phrase it's not like token charity stuff like this is proper this is the dogs this stuff it looks great yeah good branding and I was looking at it again yesterday because I'd seen all the hoodies and things I think they're really nice one thing I that really struck me I just thought was really clever was um, the poster the practical ways to look after your mental health each day what I yeah, thought was yeah. really clever about that was that um, it's all to me. It feels like you've kind of rebranded mindfulness to suit the chef industry because all of those important things that we don't do, we're not aware. You know, too much time on your phone or you know meditation or you know, learning new hobbies, eating properly, sleeping sleeping properly, all those kind of things that are really important for mindfulness. Whereas, you know, just Speaking from my point of view in chefs that I know, you know, a mindfulness 
uh, book or those sort of things. They don't they don't really appeal. They seem um, I don't know. They've never really struck me. But this straight away, it sort of it kind of hits our market. I think. Yeah, and I think that's the thing. I mean, when I initially set up, I was looking at working with the likes of Mind, and um, I mean certainly our local Mind. But the thing that we kept coming across is people. I mean, let's let's face it. I'm not reinventing the wheel here. Nothing that I'm doing is is going to give anyone the magic magic pill to completely cure mental illness. But I think that we have to acknowledge that hospitality is such a unique industry. I don't think there's mm-hmm. any other industry quite like it in the world. You know, the the hours in which we operate, the way in which we operate. You know, the individuals that are within this industry is such a diverse and eclectic mix. And I think that by taking principles that exist but perhaps haven't appealed to individuals of the industry and making mm-hmm. it for them specifically i think is you know th- that's that's the key and it's just those it is those reminders i, I used to think mindfulness was a load of hocus pocus um <clears throat> you know i thought mindfulness was you know being pissed and sitting on a sitting in a room on my own for a little bit but it's yeah i agree i know what you mean <laughs> yeah, you know <laughs> Uh, or, or the five minute break that you get sitting on the toilet I thought that was mindfulness but you know it's 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 about it's about making these normal normal situations and these normal things accessible to just everyday uh, people and I don't know it's like it's, you know we take the the burnt chef tech service that we've just launched as well it already existed you know it already existed the company that we're working with shout they already had a very um, useful and efficient service, but we've paid them for access for this, um, quite considerable amounts of money. And, you know, at the end of the day, we've branded it specifically for hospitality and we've given hospitality something they can call their own. And again, now we've got people accessing a service that is they feel that they can adopt and they can they can benefit from, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, you're right. And you know, to go back on what you said, it, your mindfulness... You know, I can look at it now and I understand the importance of it, but it wasn't targeted at me. If you look at the you know, things that are out there, it's generally targeted at a, a female market, um, and it just never appealed. My, um, you know, my ex used to have all these things, and I'd never pick them up. But the information and the message is the same. But I think the way this is delivered, it's a, it's a much more appealing way that doesn't feel as airy fairy, oaty floaty, or generic. Kind of, yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. And in terms of merchandise as well, in terms of quality, just to go back to that point, the last thing I ever wanted to do is pump out crap. Like, you know, when yeah. you've got a, th- a thousand angry chefs all coming back at you, <laughs> wanting to give you a piece of their mind. Yeah, that wasn't that wasn't my intention. So, um, you know, believe it or not, this whole thing started off with just selling little rubber wristbands. Oh, really? Okay. Oh, wow. Yeah, because I knew I always wanted to use the money to fund training. Um, and so I thought I'll just sell rubber wristbands and a couple of T-shirts, and that's that's where the first sort of couple of hundred pound came into. And then I decided to go and get another T-shirt done in a different colour, and I haven't stopped since then, really. Amazing. I'm just looking for it all now. I mean, you've literally got everything from like tees, hoodies, to accessories around the kitchen, like flasks, water bottles, the lot. Like everyone should go and check it out. They look great. I'm definitely going to order myself something after this conversation's over. Um, just quickly on the mindfulness thing, if you guys don't mind. Out of intrigue alone, what are the most mindful things you do in your life that gives you peace? I know you thought like before it was just like sitting and having a beer and watching some telly, but what have you discovered other things that give yourself that give you a proper time out, so to speak? I, I have lately, yeah, loads. I like getting out on my bike. I, I love it. Yeah. Um, it's been a bit hard lately with the weather, and you know, if I if I have my kids, I can't get out because they're too young to leave on their own. Not yeah, four and four. seven. The seven-year-old can't look after the four-year-old yet. <laughs> a bit younger, yeah. A little bit, maybe a year. Yeah, okay. eight and a half. It'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, she can make cereal because they're fine. <laughs> they, they'll eat. <laughs> um, yeah. So yeah, getting out on the bike is uh, it's been one of the most powerful things for me because. If I I find that if I sit down and have a beer, um, I'll do something like watch watch telly or I'll be looking at my phone or something. And it's nice and it's good downtime, but it's distracting. I'm never actually spending any time switching it off. On my bike, you, you're forced to do that. I've got no devices and I'm forced just to think. And, you know, I like to go out on my own without anyone else and just, just can't you just let your mind wonder? And that's been the most powerful thing for me. Yeah, nice. What about you, Chris? Yeah. Well, I mean, photography, I guess, looking back, was one of my forms of mindfulness because I could take a camera out, 
or I can, you know, create a dish or create a drink and spend the best part of two hours shooting the thing over and over again. And I guess for me, that was a moment where I wasn't really thinking. It was quite creative as well. Um, but yeah, exercise, although it's not classified as, a, as necessary as a form of mindfulness, it's a great way of being able just to blow out the cobwebs and give yourself a break from thinking about, you know, life and what's going on around us. Mm. Um, but I mean, if you have ever tried mindfulness itself, uh, it's it's fucking difficult for yeah. a start. It's really, really hard. Um, mm. But that's why it's mindfulness practice. It's not mindfulness, you know, expert. Um, but you know, one of the things that I I started challenging myself to do is if you've got like a, a smartwatch, is when you practice mindfulness, which is like sitting there, deep breathing deep, you know, listening. Uh, you know, smelling what's going on around you, just being present in that moment, you can actually find you can lower your heart rate quite significantly. Um, mm-hmm. So every night I just set myself a little challenge as to how much I could master mindfulness by how low I could get my heart rate to go. What'd you get to? What's your PB? Uh, my PB was 42 beats per minute when I sit. Yeah, like a fucking whale. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. It's like a sloth. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, when I came to, I found my watch on the, my uh, watch on the floor, but um, <laughs> that might explain it. <laughs> I was going to say, you need like, just stand up and then immediately fade. Just, that's <laughs> a bit much. <laughs> yeah, I realised my wife had put a bag over my head. And that was, <laughs> <laughs> but no, honestly, you can, you can, if you can start tracking it and like put it on an activity and track how low you can get your heartbeat just by relaxing everything, mm. um, you come out a little bit, a little bit dazed, like you, you know, like you've had a good night out. That's good. I think that's great advice. Like I've, I've uh, always been a little bit sort of petrified of silence. Like I still often, if I can't sleep, I'll put, pop a podcast on in my headphones and stuff like that. Do you know what I mean? But, mm. but then every so often, I don't know whether you guys do this, but on back when we had commutes, I'm lucky enough that I still have one right now. Um, I'd always listen to podcasts or the radio or whatever, but then every so often I'll just be in a real mood to have nothing on and just <laughs> yeah. drive. And that sounds mental in 2020. Like, but to just drive for half an hour and just nothing it's actually yeah. really nice <laughs> it is especially if it's a nice day yeah and you can just really your mind can wonder mm. yeah it's great yeah yeah i mean my my commute if it's any constellation before i stopped working and took this on full time i used to commute an hour and a half a day both yeah. ways so three Jeez, hours a day in the car yeah and and again this is where the birch Jeff project came from i just threw myself into self-development like podcasts listening to books um, whatever I could get my hands on that made me increase my knowledge of psychology or in terms of business management or marketing or whatever it was and I just absorbed as much as possible and that for good, me was good use, of, good use of time mate better than just listening to the back catalogue of Nightcap well I did that as well <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay nice one um, are there any other just before we like move on to other bits is there any other like things you wanted to discuss Chris or Paul like anyone want to uh, talk anything else through on this subject yeah i mean i think from one question that i tend to sort of ask during the podcast that we have so we we also host the burnt chef journal uh where we get people like paul when if you fancy joining us just on to talk about your experiences yourself i think it's quite it's quite decent for other people to hear that mm-hmm. but um, yeah definitely you know i guess it's it's really where do you guys find the subject of mental health currently sits within the world of hospitality? Do you think we're sort of like 50% of the way there in terms of normalizing it or 20 or what's your views on that? It's really hard to put a figure on, but I wouldn't say it's hard. I wouldn't say it's 50% is less than that. Um, in my, in my opinion, I think it's still, I think it's about getting the, getting the awareness out there, like what you're doing. Um, because I think the biggest issue is, um, and I've always had a bit, I mean, Simon spoke about it before, is a, a bit of a s- sticking point for me is, you know, mental health all over social media now. And the message is, and it's not a wrong message, it's the right message, but it doesn't necessarily work, is that um, if you're feeling down, you should talk to someone. And there's this message of you have to talk, you have to open up, you have to talk to people, which is the right message. But the difficulty is is a lot of people don't know or they're not brave enough to. So you kind of come at a stop. And I think that's where hospitality is. If you're just, I think it's quite dismissive to just say, well, you've got to t- talk to somebody because what's happened is you're putting the pressure on that person who's already feeling shit or doesn't know they're feeling shit to go and open up 
and do something that is completely out of their comfort zone. So I think it's, I think the, you know, just from my opinion and experience, I think the best way is created awareness for everybody, exactly like you're doing, to be able to notice and spot when people are having issues. So you approach those people and people are much more likely to open up that way because you know that's that's what happened to me and I was totally unaware before people spotted the issues I had I would just carried on um, so I think it still has got a long way to go we're going in the right direction definitely and a lot of things are changing you know like working hours are getting better and the work-life balance is getting better and people are becoming more aware of the things we need to do physically but mentally we still need to keep pushing in the same direction yeah definitely and it's a really good point actually is that you know, we're we're taught how to yeah. you're taught how to run a section, or you're taught how to read and write, but we're not going back to what we were saying earlier. Ever taught how emotional intelligence, and um, we weren't mm. taught to recognise one when we're feeling shit, and two how to articulate that. Um, yeah, and it's a it's a brilliant point, and perhaps you know that's something that we can look at putting you know, a brief five minute module together for people. Like, okay, I've identified I'm not feeling right. What's the next steps? Like, how do I engage with this feeling, and mm. how do I start to make sense of it? Um, yeah, yeah, that's the thing. I think yeah, it's, there's, there's two big steps there, isn't there? There's one identified, and then two doing something about it. I think for people that are feeling incredibly vulnerable or really alone, they, you know, it's two big steps there that you know that needs to focus on yeah massive and if it's something that you've got to the point where you are you know you haven't discussed it with someone and it's to the point where it's causing you you know mental anguish then yeah it's it's a bit of a leap just to suddenly go oh by the way i'm feeling quite depressed at the moment and i need to talk about it because that's obviously something that you've never felt comfortable with before mm -hmm. but you know that's where services like hopefully the text-based service can come in because it is a service where you can use your words you can yeah. not hide behind text message, but you can use that as sort of like a, a break from that face-to-face -face contact and be able to say what you want to say in whatever way you feel comfortable saying it and get a response back, um, which is hopefully a good starting and a sort of stepping platform into being yeah. able to say, you know, moving forward with that. Yeah, it feels a much less intimidating way of making a first contact or, you know, breaking the ice. Yeah, because that can be so scary, that first bit. So just being able mm. to not hide behind the text, like you say, but just being able to do it without that sort of, like, scary, like... it's ba That's a baby step, isn't it, Cons uh, yeah. compared to just jumping in the deep end? Yeah, massively. Like, I mean, I had a mate who was in the military, and he... Uh, he was quite mentally unwell, and he was he was the guy, you know, he was a fucking class bloke, he's a good friend of mine, but he never had any issues, and he was incredibly stoic. And in order for me to be able to aid him and help him, I physically had to verbally beat him up in order to do it. And I'm not saying that's the right way, but I had to sort of, like, get him in the car, take him for a drive and say, right, we're not leaving until, you know, you learn to open up. And I heard all the sort of classic things, oh, I'm a bloke, blokes don't suffer from this, or... You know, I'm not a fanny mm -hmm. and, and I don't have these issues and all of this sort of stuff. And it was like, okay, cool. Now you've got that out of your system. How are you feeling? What's going on at the moment? And he's like, oh, I don't want to talk about it. And I'm like, well, we're not going anywhere until you do. So what's going on? And he's like, oh, you know, just this. And that's the first time that anyone, anyone's ever sat down and sort of made him articulate how he feels. And it's, you know, we ended up chatting for about two hours straight and it wasn't a clean, clean journey for the next six months and the, that conversation continued and continued and continued but you know i think it's important to acknowledge you know if your mate is struggling or they're not they're not seeming right is that you are your mate and you know they'll respect that ability to be able to talk quite freely and open for a change and the moral of the story is kidnapping works so, <laughs> yeah. don't try this at home kids <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Especially not with military people. Yeah, you're kidnapping a soldier. Brave man. Um, <laughs> that's I love that story. Um, okay, nice one, Chris. This has been so good to do. And, you know, I hope I hope people, you know, there might be someone listening now that thinks, you know what, okay, I might reach out actually because I've been feeling this, especially during lockdown, for God's sake. Like, on top of the pressures we all face anyway, especially in the hospitality industry with the long hours, etc. to then also get on with it all and keep on keeping on, as everyone keeps saying, so cliched. Um, mm. during a pandemic it's a difficult time so it's a brilliant initiative Chris we, we love what you're doing and uh, it's been brilliant to have you on um, you. do you want to should we do some it wouldn't be a nightcap without doing some boiling point stories do you guys fancy doing that 
Yeah, do you want to go? I'm a bit undecided. Do you want to go first while I try and decide which okay. one I'll pick? <laughs> okay, yeah, go for it, Chris. If you're up for it, take the floor. Yeah, yeah, no worries. Well, as I said to you uh, before I sort of came on, obviously not having worked sort of at the coalface, so to speak, in the kitchen, it's very difficult for me to be able to give you uh, real-world examples. I mean, obviously I've come into, come into contact where I've tried to help out in kitchens from time to time and fucking fluffed it where I've had gold leaf stuck to all my fingers and it's cost <laughs> a lot of money. But um, I suppose the one that comes to mind was when I first sort of came into this industry about 10 years ago. And uh, I was the sort of... Back then, I was the cocky, double-glazing rep that, you know, you hate walking into the kitchen. Oh, fucking hell, he's here again. Just get rid of him. And uh, one of my first visits was to the Royal Crescent in Bath. Um, and uh, sort of walked, walked, got out of my car in a suit, of all things as well. The last thing you want to do is see a rep in a suit. You, you know, they stick out like a sore thumb. And I come walking into this kitchen all cocky and like, yeah, right, I'm, you know, who's the chef here? And he was like, oh, it's David. And I was like, okay, cool, where's David? And someone just looked at me with fear in their eye. And I was like, I just didn't understand it. I couldn't get it. And I sort of stood there for five, 10 minutes waiting. And in the end, I went to go and find him. Anyway, the look that I got, the look of pure, like, <laughs> disgust. And I was like, what? He goes, get out of my fucking kitchen, get out. And I was like, what the hell have I done? Like, what? He's like, don't fucking walk into my kitchen during service. And I was looked at my watch, and I was like, what service? Like, <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking about? And I'm physically getting manhandled out the back door of this kitchen. And everyone just looked at me in fear, going, oh, God, he's never going to come back again. <laughs> um, so, yeah, my, my entry into the hospitality world was one with... Uh, I didn't go back into a kitchen again for a few weeks after that. <laughs> Amazing. Just, and no, so what would it have been, like, literally bang in the middle of the service in the middle of the afternoon or something, and you just no clue what Half 12. Yeah, half 12. <laughs> bang it on. It was just, I, I remember, I mean, it's like a memory that's imprinted in my brain. <laughs> I remember just looking at the clock going, half 12. I said, right, okay. And I went back to the office and I said, What's this whole service thing that people talk about? <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> so, I love basically, that. Don't go near a kitchen between 12 and 3. Yeah, that's yeah. good. Unless you're eating there, that is good advice. Yeah, well, I, I must apologise on his behalf because I have done that several times. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I, I've had, you know, people that should know. I think it's, I'd only lose it, though, with people that, um, in the past, people that um, <laughs> yeah, should, know, should know better. You know, yeah. if it was somebody who had no idea, I think I've been, I've definitely been a lot more accommodating. But it's when former chefs that you know, turn to reps or whatever um, just turn up with a box of things and stick it on your pass in the middle of a lunch service. And oh, yeah, I mate. must admit, I've totally lost my shit at home. Blood boil. You know, so I'd never just walk into your office without an appointment and just put some things down, and expect you to drop everything. And while you're yeah. in the middle of a board meeting. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> sort of. I fucking might, actually. <laughs> actually, I wouldn't put that past you, yeah. yeah. Nice one, mate. Go on then, Paul, what have you got for us? Um, so uh, people actually, people are actually asking for more stories about James. Oh, yeah. 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 Oh, so is James's James James's fake name? James is a fake name. Yes. Cool. Yeah, and that's just kind of stuck. Everyone's like, I want more stories on yeah. James. <laughs> so I have got two more. I'll save one for another, a later time. It's a bit, a bit longer, but this one. So when uh, when James started, he was, uh, which was a very bad decision by, by <laughs> me, he was living with us for a bit. Oh, didn't know yeah. that. Okay. So we, we didn't have any children at the time. We just... Um, we had a, a three-bed house and he had the spare room. Um, and we weren't getting on straight away from work. So things were a bit weird. He'd just go in his room and then, you know, then it was always a bit awkward having our house and stuff. But he'd go home yeah. on his days off. So it was fine. Um, and then we had, um, we didn't have any kids. We had a greyhound at the time. We had this greyhound. We had it from a puppy. Beautiful dog. Like, oh. absolutely amazing. Um amazing dog her name was macy yeah. and um i don't know if you know much about grounds but they are the most loving sensitive yeah, dogs like there are uh, like, I, I adore them and um we lived on a, a main road it's on the same road to the mills on uh -huh. and you know, very strict rules about you know cause I had a, we had a fence built properly like a massive gate like a 10 foot long gate that, that opened up if you ever going outside, you just make sure that's locked. You go out the we go out the back door because the, the road was the road was savage. It was a proper one of those busy proper country lanes, and um, he'd just gone out one day. He'd left the back door open. He'd left early to go to work, 
left the back door open and the gate wide open and yeah, me and Rianne were in the house and we just heard this massive screech of the brakes. We were upstairs, pottering around, he'd just gone, left the fucking door open. It's a massive screech of brakes and there's a lorry in the street just beeping its horn. I've ran outside and there's our dog, our, oh you know, our child at the time, if you like, just like, petrified in the middle of this road. And like that stays with greyhounds. That's like, they're oh, so precious. No. All these other cars around and she's just skitting out in the middle of this road. So I've just gone, <laughs> say, fortunately, they hadn't ran her over. Got her inside and obviously we we're both yeah, a bit like, you know, on edge. And I was like, right, I'm going to work now. <laughs> just grab my <laughs> oh, stuff, I stormed down there. Yeah. Walked in the kitchen, morning, chef. And uh, and like the whole team, I'm not proud of how I went, but I I lost it like the most I'd probably ever have really? at anyone at that point. In front Just of full on, fully lost it. Yeah, and I didn't care, didn't care at the time about anyone seeing me or anything. I was just fully in red okay. mode. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. know. But it was it was about. You know, yeah, if you left the gate open, I'd be left, left everything, left the back door open and stuff. And the dog's obviously just gone out and, you know, he could have killed the dog. Oh, I just Christ. fully lost it at Did him. And I was it? like... Did he take it? Did he be like, yeah, sorry? Or... He, he had no choice. He couldn't even <laughs> get the words out. And I was just like, that's it. You're finding somewhere else to live. I don't want you there. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, that has so not gone well. That has fully, not gone well for him. Yeah. And then the writing was on the wall. That was only a few days in, I think. <laughs> And that was the last I saw of James. Oh, he well, stayed five weeks. Yeah. This is the thing. This is the third story we've had about James, and he was only ever working with Paul for six weeks. Did you five weeks? <laughs> yeah. The uh, next story, I won't give any info in. That's after he'd left. Oh a few years God. after he's left. Just unbelievable. This poor guy. I feel starting to feel sorry for him now. Like it's almost gone. I've gone around the moon and I'm back. <laughs> do you know what I mean? I'm back around the other side and now I'm like, oh poor, poor guy. I, I get that, but you nearly <laughs> killed our dog. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Ah, oh, love it. Okay, nice one, guys. Uh, before we head off um, and also talk a bit more about the website, make sure people know where to go for um, the Burnt Chef project. Any uh, home cooking hacks or myths you guys might have learnt or discovered over lockdown? I mean, obviously, working in the world of food wholesale, you've you've uh, you're often asked for ingredients uh, where you know certainly with chefs who want to be always at the cut, cutting edge of what you do in terms of creativity and you know Martin Blunos once asked me for finger limes and I thought he was taking the piss and actually <laughs> you know the, these things actually exist and they look like aliens but I remember a time when back in, again I'd probably only been in wholesale for about a year and I was familiar with truffles and by this point I knew what a service was and uh, <laughs> it's good I with had, Martin Blunos yeah <laughs> yeah oh yeah Christ um, and uh, I, had a, I had a phone call from quite a, a high up chef um, I'm not going to name any names or locations, but <laughs> I had a phone call saying, right, listen to me and listen to me good. I've got a menu coming up and I've just heard about this new product. It's a, it's a melon and, um, and I need it on my menu. I've got to have it. Apparently it's, it's called a moon melon and it turns everything that's sour sweet and I have to have it. I was like, yeah, 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 okay, sure, sure. He's like, yeah, that sounds like no. tartan paint, doesn't it? <laughs> it? Yeah, I was like, haha, yeah, cool. But I mean, this is this is a chef who didn't make very many jokes. Very, very sort of serious, <laughs> serious uh, chef. And uh, he said to me, right, no, Chris, I, I'm serious. I need you to get this for me. If you don't, I'm going to drop you guys, and that's it. We'll never use you again. And I was like, oh, fucking hell, all right. So went off to uh, went off to the purchasing department, sat down. And I was like, right, I need you to get on the phone to Rungis before they shut and I want you to find this this moon melon for me the chef is giving me such a hard time so the guy at the time he's got on the phone he's like no it doesn't exist I was like look you're trying the wrong market go on to Milan go phone Milan and get them to, to send you a picture of this moon melon oh, I've got a picture I've had this picture come through from the chef it was a blue, it was a blue melon and uh, so he sent it through to Milan waited 24 hours got a response they were like no this thing doesn't exist someone's pulling your leg so I was like okay alright picked up the phone Chef, uh, I think, uh, yeah, the joke's over. I said, I'm, I can't find you this thing. He was like, y you've got one last chance to get this for me. I want this on my menu. I'm not fucking pulling your leg. I've heard about it. It sounds ace. I need it. And at this point, I realized that this particular chef was deadly serious and that he wanted this moon melon. And I was like, fuck, I don't know how to break this to him. I was like, this, this doesn't exist. He's like, don't, if you can't fucking do it. And I was like, oh, this is a decent account. I don't know what to do. In the end, I had to like almost get two pictures of the same melon and overlay some blue and just send it across and be like, chef, this doesn't actually fucking exist. I wish it did because it sounds ace, but it doesn't. So that was probably one of the biggest myths that I had to try and uh, gently navigate around. 
So what? What? Yeah. What happened then? He just he just went right. Um, safe to say, I, I didn't hear from him for a while. Um, <laughs> that's so, so weird. That is. Yeah. I've never heard of that. Yeah. Moon Meadows. Swear to God, if you Google it, you'll probably still find like uh, references to Moon Melon on Google somewhere. I'm just um, looking now, and these blue watermelons coming up. Yeah. I don't know how. Yeah, what they're this doing. It's very weird. Well, if anyone out there that's listening knows anything more about these melons that we don't, please do get in contact because I'm super intrigued now. Uh, Paul, have you got any myths or hacks for us? Uh, yeah, this is quite a random one, but um, it's like really useful. When um, if you ever bought, you know, like just from the shop, veg oil, sunflower oil, those sort of things. Yeah. Um, a few weeks in, what happens to the label? It it's always falls off. Yeah, yeah. Always falls. That's because oil breaks down glue. Oil breaks down adhesive. So if ever you get like, so like I noticed this, and then I looked into it you know, a few years ago at the house. We had some brand new windows in, and they left all the stickers on. And the first thing you do, you get hot soapy water, scour, yeah. scrub it off. Don't do it. Just put rub some oil on it, Ooh. and then do it. Oil breaks down adhesive. Good. Yeah. Good. So it cleans it straight off. So if you get some plates, you know, new plates, they've got those stickers on and they stay on there for ages and you're yeah. trying to soak it and mess about, rub some oil into it. Or if you get half of it off, the adhesive bit, rub some oil in, comes straight off. That is G- oh, G- oh, no, We're no, branching that's... out into DIY now. I know, yeah. This is brilliant. There's a food link because it's cooking no, it oil. Is. But... <laughs> I'll give you that. No, mate, that's... that is bob on, that is. I love that one. That's really that's good. Yeah. It's like white, white wine vinegar, isn't it? That's all I use for descaling the house. I pour oh, it's amazing. Amazing yeah. stuff. Like those sort of things. But um, have you seen with oil as well? Apparently, if you get oil, especially uh, virgin olive oil, you have to, well, it's better to get it in tins because it reacts with light and goes off. That's why yes, it's always I've heard dark it reacts green with light. Yeah. Yeah. Same with, same with tea. If you've got loose leaf tea, you think the best thing is to keep it airtight. That doesn't matter. Keep it in a tub. You need to keep it away from daylight. So we've got, you've probably seen behind our bar, we've got those beautiful tea tins. That, they look really nice, and they're aesthetically pleasing, but they're to keep the sunlight off them. They're just loose in there and last for ages. The air light, the, the light is what affects tea. Madness. Yeah. It's the same as, um, have you heard about spinach? I'm, I'm dishing them out now. But yeah. spinach, Go on then. Go on. Um, no, it's, it's watercress. I do apologise. But watercress, once watercress gets to a certain temperature and starts to warm up, yeah, most things you can refresh it by putting it back in the cold, you know, any sort of salad leaves. But with watercress, once it starts to break down, that's it. You can't turn it around. One, uh, like yeah. there's, there's no stopping the, the cell um, breakdown in watercress, which is why sometimes you'll get it go yellow if you leave it out on the past too long. Yeah. Ah, right. Yeah, because most lettuce, you throw it in some cold water and it's re-crisped. Mm. Yeah, it looks good. You can't, I, it's, it's definitely watercress. You can't do that with watercress. Once it starts to break down, that's it. Game over. Yeah. Ah. Hack overload there. That is properly... No, do not apply. That's what we want. We want it. Yeah, exactly. This is great. Um, Amazing. (laughs) Just cut that off, edit that side, and then I'll use them on future episodes. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll just spread them out over the next series. Um, Nice one, Chris. This has been an absolute joy. It's been really good fun, uh, as well as also serious, and it's great to have those open conversations. I hope we've inspired people to go to your website and either order merch, but also reach out and use the new services that you provide. It's theburntchefproject.com, is that correct? Yeah, so theburntchefproject.com, and I mean, there's a load of free resources on there. You've obviously got the shop and all of the profits, despite what some naysayers may think, it all goes back into making the industry a sort of a happier and healthier industry. Um, there's details on, on the Burnt Chef support service as well, but in basic, it's very basic, just text Burnt Chef to 85258 anytime, day or night, and you'll get a response from generally about five minutes. It's incredible. Burnt Chef, eight, eight, five, what was the number, sorry? Uh, Burnt Chef, all one word, to 85258, and you can Amazing. find that number on the Burnt Chef project under um, Get Help if you need it. Incredible, and download the, download the Burnt Chef podcast as well. Yeah, yes. thank you. Yeah. No, thank you very much. It's been great. Yeah, nice one, Chris. Loved having you on. And Paul and I will be back with, uh, I think we're going to do some more Ask Us Anything podcasts. Um, yeah. People seem to love them, um, which is great. And we're, we're really up for it. And also, whether it's industry stuff, which will be the bulk of it, but any other questions you've got, just for the fun of it, it doesn't really matter. We're just Why whatever. Not? Why not? Yeah. Whatever I've had loads privately got. I need to send on to add to the mix, but got loads of questions. Yeah, loads. So keep them coming. We'll do that next week. And uh, yeah, we'll have season four 
as soon as we can get back to normal, obviously you're awfully abreast of what's going on right now, but as soon as we can do it, we will do it. Uh, nice one, guys. Thanks for having us. Cheers. Thanks very much. Cheers. Cheers.